Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the cold world, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. Oh, Mad Hill has entered the chat. There we are. What's up, buddy? Say something else. I noticed you got the cage open. Is your daughter just running free right now? She loves that thing more than the dog does, and the dog really likes it. <laughs> a lot of kids do. Yeah, we had a the 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 dog was sad when I was gone, and she was uh, I don't know losing her mind with all the free. We usually just leave her downstairs and gate baby gate the top of the stairs when we leave, so she doesn't have free roam of everything in the house. But she yeah. gets like the couch, two love sacks, the whole bar. Like, what more could a dog want? But she was losing her mind, so we put her in a crate, and that settled her down while we were gone. I haven't seen the new recording space. I like the bar situation back there. You got it made. Yeah, here, let me, I mean, this is awful when people do this. I cringe when people do this, but I am moving the camera. No, not me. Give me that creepy look. It's me down here on my setup. You see the the boomy mic. Oh, there we go. Backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing special, but yeah, the bar, laundry room's back there, and then upstairs is up there. Anyway, let's get into it. Glad to have you. Thanks for for uh, joining me. Yeah, we're uh, talking to Dinosaur Polo Club this week, which I'm actually very excited about. I, I, I don't want to say like I ever have to like work up enthusiasm about guests because I'm always having a good time and always happy to talk to them. But I play Dino Polo Club games all the time. They're, they're known for Mini Metro and Mini Motorways, which are both on the phone. Uh, Mini Motorways just got added to Apple Arcade. I love their games. And you will see that in the interview because I'm basically just heaping praise on them to the point that they're like, I don't know what you want us to say to all this. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of uh, moments where they're just like, thank you. I've been on the receiving end of one of those for, you know, whatever. Somebody, you get a, somebody a gift or something, birthday or just something nice, and they just won't stop. And it's like, I've said thank you, and now I'm off. it's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but they were stuck with me, and they had to deal with almost an hour of it. So that's fun. <laughs> um, and I knew it would go that way, and that's fine with me. Let's talk about you. You just got we we haven't talked since you traveled back from your work trip. How'd it go? Oh man, it was uh, it was it was good as far as work went. We got things done, put in some good time. Uh, I learned a few things. Happy about that. Always, I had a good team with me. I did have I did have a stinker with me, and I can elaborate on that too. It got real interesting there on. We did not do it on a Sunday this time because their office was right next to Brown Stadium in Cleveland. And they weren't kidding when they said everybody and the brother was out because (laughs) I sent you a couple photos and I was like, there are drunk people everywhere. It was weird. (laughs) There would have been no walking anywhere, getting to do anything. So I didn't even leave the hotel on Sunday, but we pushed it a day, worked some late nights slash early mornings, some of those days, but we got it done. They can just come in. We show them everything. It's less to do outside of business hours. That way you don't get there on Monday and you're like, crap none of my stuff works this is all just different enough to be a pain so on so one of our guys kind of the lower level guy even though he's almost 50 years old (laughs) disappeared uh we all called it fairly early because we were i mean we worked the previous night till about 1 a.m and they're an hour ahead so you know midnight-ish our time and text everybody the next morning like hey heading downstairs getting ready to leave 
no response from him. The other two guys are like, hey, we're here. We wait a few more minutes, radio silence. I'm like, he's a big boy. He'll do him. Yeah. We walk down the street to the office. We get there. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, <laughs> 11 o'clock. It was damn near like noon, their time. And this guy finally texts us in the thread and says, oh, no, my phone didn't charge. I'll be there in a half hour. Well, like almost another hour later, he shows up and I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me right now. So and then he shows up and he continues. We're on camera, so I could do this. He continues after he gets there. We're, you know, we're sitting at our laptops doing a couple of things before we're jumping and running around. And I bet the rest of the day he was doing. Oh, no. Like right in front of the regional guy who's kind of the lead for the whole project. He did not even. He just all day long he was sleeping. Then he's like, I'm starting to feel sick. And then I started to get upset because like if this dude gets me sick and I have to catch two planes on the way back sick, I'm going to be upset <laughs> because yeah. of your negligence. Anyway, it turned out to be fine. He mostly picked it up the rest of the trip or whatever, but that was good. But no, I had a good team, learned a lot and uh, missed the family. And I was definitely glad to be home after six days. So. Yeah. Your, your travel experience, oddly, because we're, we're close, got me thinking about friendship on one of those days. <laughs> and let me, let me uh, <clears throat> qualify that statement. We got to, we picked out a mobile game, COD Mobile, uh, Call of Duty, and played for hours, several yeah. days, just because we normally like to get a couple of play sessions in per week anyway. And we couldn't do it on the consoles. And you had your phone stuff set up and I think a controller. You had a controller, yeah, right? absolutely. I just plugged. I have it right here, actually. I can show the world. I love this that little thing. piece right here. Mm -hmm. You just attach this bottom piece to your controller and then this unfolds and you can put your phone in this little clamp and you can play on a controller with your screen right there that was cool. And, uh, I heard from another good friend of mine who I won't name, who I think you've met and I love the guy and he won't hear this either way. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to throw him under the bus a little bit, <laughs> but I heard from two friends that day. Uh, he got in touch with me for the first time in quite some time other than social media and was like, Hey man, how's it going? I wanted to check in. And uh, I thought that was nice. So we, we talked back and forth just a little bit. And um, I our last few interactions were I've been watching him do these really cool things out and about like he got into rollerblading at skate parks and stuff. And I thought like and I was even commenting like, hey, man, I've I've always wanted to try that. And uh, I would love to do that. That looks so much fun. Hint, hint, you know, and uh, never any calls, never any invites. <laughs> but but he got in touch with me the other day and was like. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, it's great to hear from you and everything. So I got this network problem at work. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, I'm just I'm out. I'm out of things to try. I don't know how to do this. I was wondering if you could maybe help. I said, you want me to help with your network problem at work? <laughs> and he did. It was like, it was like, here's the situation. Sends me all these photos, all this detailed stuff about the issue. And and he's like, I just, and, and one of the things he sent me was like, this guy had this problem on this forum, but the post is really long. Oh. And I was like, are you shitting me? Oh, man. <laughs> he wanted me to troubleshoot his office's network. And I was like, yeah, man, pretty busy. I, I really hope you work it out. <laughs> Golly. And then, uh, then Matt Hill did not let the distance between uh, here and Cleveland stop us from playing some games. It and worked out uh, nicely. I, I thought like, you know, that's, that's what you want friendship to look like. You know, it's because <laughs> if you call me about a network issue, you know, way more about networks than I do, but 
okay, programming issue. I, I would help you, you with go. that. I would look into that for you. Maybe not for days or anything, but <laughs> I would take a look. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, I can yeah. hear the little one. If you need to go let her back into the kennel, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let me stop you. No, her and mommy came in for some water. They just uh, they put up a new swing outside and they're outside enjoying it. And I think throwing the ball around with the dog a little bit. So like I do know kids play in those things and I totally get it. She, but like if you if you had answered the call and she had been in there, I would have lost it forever and never gotten it back. <laughs> that would have been she'll it for take me. books and her stuffed animals and everything <laughs> just sitting there and play and close the door. And she's like, all right, my house. And it's like, all right. then. Every family I know, the kids take toys in there. They hang out. They'll shut the door behind them and hope to God you know, child and family services doesn't walk by the window. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, oh man. It's, it's hilarious. She's funny. She cracks me up. It's never a dull moment with her. So dude, I, I get it, man. I've, I've spent more parenting time than normal this week. And I spend a lot baseline, you know, uh, I've been teaching homeschool full time, yeah. uh, Monday through Thursday, we do super long days and then we get three days off. It, I'm glad we're doing it. It's the right thing for us, especially here in Missouri, where the, the public public education system is burning down and the attorney oh, general is suing goodness. our local school district over mask mandates and stuff like everything's going to hell. But uh, it's still a real challenge to do homeschool here. It is it is wild. I'll do it. I don't care if I do it all through high school and then send them off to college. I, I don't I won't hesitate at this point, but like it is. Yeah, they're going to have to get it together one way or another. People are just going to have to realize that this isn't what they think it is. And we're all just trying to be safe. And we just want better in general, period, the end. And right now, people really enjoy conflict. And it's like, it's not about that, you guys. <laughs> right. I had a, There's no working together anymore. I have a conversation your wife would probably just to dive off onto this, not to get political or anything, because it's really not about that. But I think your wife's really going to laugh about this one, as will you. Okay. There was a conversation had. I won't do any names or places or where it came from, but basically you had to voice your opinion to a representative and then they talk it to a number, they took it to a number one, and then you had that discussion from the many locations. The question was in regards to getting tested every week was what about cotton swabs causing cancer in nasal, you know, passageways? Oh, for after Christ. prolonged use and then babies catching cancer, basically. And I was like, I was the guy at work the other day. I was just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like oh. that is the, it's just like, basically, it's just like saying uh, Q-tips cause brain cancer and people have been using those forever. Or, you know, I mean, it's just that same premise. It's like, that's a reach and a stretch as far as <laughs> it was ridiculous. Right. Like there was a time when we, I mean, like we did our local public school system because we moved over an hour away to get here. We, it was like the nicest school school uh, system in the area. Yeah. And it's close to her work. And we were very excited. We had toured the place. We sent him to kindergarten. No, we sent him to preschool. Then the pandemic shut down preschool and he did kindergarten remotely last year. Okay, fine. But like we were participating in the parent, you know, community and trying to be active and kept up with the Facebook groups and everything. And these people had the stupidest. I don't have any problem with somebody going like, I'm concerned about vaccines. I don't right. understand what the virus can or can't do. I understand there's changing, uh, you know, guidelines from the CDC. Those are fine and valid observations. Now, they're all explained by science, 
and we right. still need to abide by them as we determine what's best in a situation. But I would see, yeah, it's these, smart to be concerned about all those too. Like for the record, like there, ask there, questions, get knowledge. Are, right. There are wise concerns, things we should discuss, but instead, and this is a longstanding like anti-vaxxer thing and stuff. They come up with these off the wall things just because they don't want to do it. And it's based on ultimately based on stuff like my baby cries when he gets a shot. And so I don't want to do it. And you can't make me. And I have the following reasons. It's religious. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's it's going to give the kid cancer. No, it's not. It's we can't just go like I have concerns or I don't understand it. We we have this culture where nobody can say, like, I don't understand something. That's one of the most important things in life you can say. I talk about this in career advice all the time. You're starting a new job. You don't get something. Don't walk that ass back to your desk and pretend you know what you're supposed to be doing and lose your job days later because right. you haven't done anything since Monday because you didn't want to go like the way you explain this to me is still not clear. I still have questions. I I get to, to speak on this from a position of privilege because I've had a long established career and people know when I go somewhere like this dude's been over 10 years in the field. He's done software. He's done all this stuff. And I get to go like, you need to explain this to me. Like I'm five years old because I have, I don't work here. I didn't work here yesterday. You have to explain this to me because everybody does that. They will go into like, here's what the CPM does with the RTS and all this stuff. Like, no, let's get the whiteboard markers out. You need to explain all of this. And yeah. sometimes they can't. Sometimes they've worked here so long. Like, I don't remember what this is. That's the worst too. And then everybody well, I'm, I'm the type of person. I need that. I'm very visual. You have to like, right. And especially in technology, like there's so many ways to do so many different things. And my favorite thing is like, just tell me how you want it done. And then we'll move from there because I know how to do it a way. He knows how to do it a way. Tell me how you want it done. You're the boss. We're good. Right. So, I mean, we've talked about this career wise on the podcast before, but this is everything in life. If you're talking to a guy who's fixing your refrigerator and you don't understand the part he just described, do you find out? Yeah. It's it's a thing you got to exercise all the time. You'll get real good at it and you'll start being really annoying to people, but you're going to live a better life over it. So when it comes when it finally comes to the time when you're talking to your doctor about your kid, you're not just in your head thinking like, I don't care what he says, I'm not doing this. Or, you know, you're not afraid to just go, could you explain to me the concept of, you know, the uh, the way this was tested or uh, the process this went through before, you know, it came to your office to give my kid. These are valid concerns, but you have to be able to, to listen, to ask questions and listen to the answers and not go like, I think the mask is going to suffocate him to death. Even though we've been using masks in society since the dawn of time, there's mask use in the Bible. Yeah. I don't mean to rant, but no, you're on. good. Like, like, same, same team. I get it. Other countries have been doing, I mean, they're looking at That's yes. Yes. To all of the above. Yes. We trusted these, these safeguards against leprosy in the Bible. This is what they did. They did social distancing and masks. You want to tell me that doesn't work. Jesus didn't, didn't rot and die from leprosy. <laughs> that was, that was different. The people around him didn't, didn't <laughs> rot and die from leprosy because he went ahead and like bring it in. But yeah, uh, I don't know how we got into scripture. <laughs> yeah, that left turn, but hey, that's us. It's uh, ask questions, people. That's my only, yes. my only thing. And don't, don't, and this goes for the other side too. Like, don't come up with stupid reasons to throw into your arguments. Like, be, be genuine with people. I know I'm speaking uh, to the universe and nothing's going to change, but God, this is the stuff that drives me nuts, you know? Well, that I know would it, be, 
that would be the thing if people would just be genuine but instead they're looking for any type of unfact like um i'm just going to read on facebook and tiktok and that's news i think that was a doctor that said that so i'm going to quote that it's like no be (laughs) be for real like look up credible things and that's another problem because there's less and less of those out there but there you know there's still a few so if you were a doctor on tiktok would you or would you not use tiktokter as your screen name all day that's just a gimme <laughs> yeah if it was taken I, I would you know tiktokter two or whatever i needed but yeah. that would be for sure be my my screen name yeah easy easy one yeah <laughs> that's an easy one we'll come up with hard questions today that's not going to be one of them <laughs> This episode is brought to you in part by Mudstack. Mudstack is the only asset management and collaboration platform custom built for game studios and digital artists. If you're an artist or your team works with artists, you might need more than the old school source control that only handles code and config files. You need a solution built for you. Mudstack is a digital asset management, version control, and review platform custom built for artists and game studios. Handle all your game assets from concept to completion, group and tag your assets, do easy visual comparisons, approve work, switch between iterations, and more. Soon you'll be able to customize pipelines and take advantage of simple plugin integration with Unity and Unreal. These guys understand game development and they want to help you stay focused on what matters. Level up your game art and your art game with Mudstack. Get started for free in just a few minutes at Mudstack.com. Welcome Mudstack. Big thanks for sponsoring the show. Let's see. Okay, today's interview... I got to talk to Dinosaur Polo Club. Again, I'm super excited about that. The guests were Casey Lucas Quaid, the community manager, and Rich Freeland, known as Disasterpiece, who is a famous, famous composer. He worked on Fez, Hyperlight Drifter. From there, he went on to do movie work. We get into all that. So uh, hang out and enjoy this chat with Dino Polo Club. Casey and Rich, welcome. Thank you for uh, jumping on a call. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, it's great to see you. It, this has been in the works for a little while. I'm excited we got to do this. Uh, obviously, you're both from Dinosaur Polo Club, which is a studio that makes games I positively love. I don't always get to say that about guests. I'm always excited to talk to guests, but these are games I actively play and am quite addicted to. So uh, <laughs> I have many questions and, and I'm excited to do the call. So Casey, why don't you start us off, introduce yourself to listeners, and then we'll uh, talk to Rich. Uh, so my name is Casey Lucas Quaid, and uh, yeah, I'm the community and engagement manager at Dinosaur Polo Club. We're based down in uh, beautiful, sunny Wellington, New Zealand, where um, it's kind of just just trying to kind of claw itself uh, out, of, out of winter at the moment. So if you hear any weird background noise uh, at, at the moment, it's because I, I live in a very old house and there's a storm just like absolutely pounding it at the moment, <laughs> like every... Uh, Every spare board and window in this place is rattling like it's about to get swept away in the the Wizard of Oz tornado. So very cool. Um, Yeah, I've worked on both of our titles, uh, Mini Metro and Mini Motorways. I've been with the studio for um, about uh, just just about two years now. And uh, yeah, it was it was really cool getting to shepherd many motorways through kind of it's like uh the 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 post-launch phase on apple arcade into our recent steam release and uh really excited to chat about it with you awesome very cool and rich how about about you yeah um my name is rich freeland i uh, do a lot of work in sound and music uh under the name disaster piece um 
and I uh, I got involved with Dinosaur Polo Club in probably around 2013. Um, started working on Mini Metro uh, remotely, and then um, uh, came out to Wellington for a, a brief period of time, a couple of weeks in 2014, and got to meet um, Pete and Rob Curry, um, which were the principal um, creators of Mini Metro back in the day. And uh, I don't uh, I don't reside in New Zealand. I'm uh, I'm I'm in Los Angeles and kind of been like a remote contributor to to Dinosaur Polo Club for the last uh, seven or so years, working on many metro, many motorways, pretty much handling um, uh, all things audio that aren't um, super uh, low level and technical, overly technical. Um, uh, and yeah, it's been an absolute blast to work with them. They're super awesome. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to know uh, Rich's work. Do you want to give us the short list of some of the big games you've worked on and uh, even even films and such, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've worked on uh, games like Fez and Hyperlight Drifter, uh, Reigns, um, movies. I've worked on It Follows. That's that's the most well-known one. Um, uh, very cool. So it, it's an awesome portfolio, and uh, I I hardly know where to start with you guys because again, these are games I I really like, and you, you've done a lot of really great stuff for being in the the mobile space. You've just you've really kicked a lot of ass, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so. Um, I got to know many. That's like the best way to start at an interview. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we should just leave now. It's, it's yeah. over. We're done. And that's We're all done. we have for tonight. <laughs> <Right away. laughs> Y'all have just knocked it out of the park with this. The the Steam release has gone through now it was added to apple arcade uh how how recently was that uh that was september 2019 so it was one of the principal launch titles for the apple arcade service i'm sure there's a ton you can't say about apple arcade but i mean how's that going <laughs> uh we've actually had a really great time uh working with apple on arcade and um it's it's one of those things where um it is it is certainly a decision that had to be made about how the game was going to be created and how it was going to be um, financed and where it was going to be available, which is one of those decisions that um, it, it inevitably will ruffle some feathers just if you did it differently the last time. And uh, it, it was it was definitely a uh, a decision that uh, the team thought long and hard about. Um, there's actually a really excellent interview on uh, PocketGamer.biz that uh, Rob Curry did, going into kind of our methodologies for like why we chose to release the way we did and um, what options were available to us at the time. But um, one one thing that is really interesting about uh, releasing uh, i hesitate to call it a sequel but releasing the second the second game in a series mm -hmm. uh so many years after the first is that uh apart from the fact that you have a pre-existing audience which is fantastic and of course a, a huge benefit um because you can draw on their feedback from the first game you can draw on their uh willingness to support you in future ventures um but you're basically releasing into a brand new like ecosystem um yeah. So I could I could get into the kind of business side of things uh, all day. I was I was the one who uh, planned the Steam launch, so I've got kind of a head full of that crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the uh, the the difference between Mini Metro and Mini Motorways. There is just that the entire landscape of uh, what platforms were available to launch on, uh, how you launch on them, how you make yourself visible on them, and uh, how consumers interact with them has totally changed 
that's that's a six six years is just it's a lifetime in game release terms. And so basically we had the opportunity to all but plan a thing from scratch. And uh, one of the things that was definitely uh, a, a huge difference is the the complete change in the mobile app, uh, just kind of the the way the way the players interact with those games and the rise of uh, free to play with microtransactions type stuff. Mm-hmm. The the premium mobile games, uh, I I hate seeing stuff like market, but you know, like it is kind of a marketing thing. Um, it's just it's completely different, and uh, we were not going to be able to just release Mini Motorways the same way we released Mini Metro because that just doesn't work the same way anymore. And um, yeah, so it meant making some some changes and uh, taking new opportunities as they were offered. And uh, we we felt very supported by Apple Arcade, and we've been very lucky um, to to be part of it. And uh, we're we're really looking forward to continue to be part of it. So yeah. Very cool. I feel like as a uh, a mobile developer who's been through the process and put out sort of a, a what you'd call a premium game, uh, I feel like Apple Arcade kind of brought back a way for that to work because I, I know a lot of players want that. They want the full game experience and feel like they can sort of trust. Trust is a sort of touchy feely word, but they, they want to be able to get into a game and not feel like they're going to be hit up for extra money in five minutes, you know, and, and I feel like Apple Arcade has kind of made a place where that can happen, right? Yeah, and you can definitely see the the kind of uh, the the way that people have responded to it by the success that a lot of titles have had on there, um, which is great. And you can also tell that um, people are obviously not all people. When I say people, I'm not speaking as if like every person who plays games is a you know monoculture. But uh, lots of people are kind of fed up with the other model. I know that it's it's one of the things that you hear a lot of people talk about being frustrated with, um, I don't know, backing games on Kickstarter or uh, backing games in early access because like they they kind of get to the point of where they play through the the early access or the Kickstarter or the alpha experience, and then you get to you know the big under construction sign at the end because you know the game's not done yet, right. and um, if you've you know, bought an early access game, you're like, oh, well, okay, it's an early access game. But like with the the sort of, uh, you know, the the freemium model, you get to that under construction side and it's like, ah, but we'll let you through if you give us a fiver. And it just feels, right. it just, it's just, it's just a little weird. And um, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a, a thing that a lot of developers have managed to train their customer base into being okay with doing, but it's something that uh, I, I, can't really see us ever uh getting getting that excited about because it's just not really the type of games that we like to make and it's not really the type of experience we like to have and it's it's also just a just a little bit greasy you know you know candy crush is awesome it's fun like i know a lot of people who play it i know a lot of people who play the match threes and have to play at certain times a day or stack up their their little tokens and everything i get it uh I love games that bring new people in, but I I'm always going to prefer to just go, here's a game I made. I hope you like it. And uh, mini Metro started as kind of a game jam project, didn't it? Yeah. So. so the original pardon. I just said, I think so. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the original mini Metro prototype uh, was a, I believe it was the 20, 2013 uh, Ludum Dare uh, game jam. And it just sort of uh, grew, grew from there. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that Robin Pete knocked out the, 
it's essentially the basics of mini metro in in like a a day it was <laughs> it was a very a very quick quick thing uh that that germinated very quickly and uh i mean obviously it's kind of grown in depth and complexity and there's a lot more to it and um you know it's 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 got more going on like uh the all the involvement from uh Jamie Churchman who is one of the uh, artistic collaborators just uh helped it kind of grow and blossom brilliantly and then Rich's work kind of like i I, Jamie, Jamie, if you're, if you're listening to this and, and you hear me say this, don't, don't kick my ass. But, um, I, I kind of feel like it was almost Rich's work on mini Metro that kind of defined it just as much as the visuals, because it's just, um, once, once you have played mini Metro with that kind of full on headphones on audio experience, you will be able to hear that. If you hear, if you hear like a 10 second snippet of many motorways you will immediately know who it is you'll immediately know who made it it's like just as distinctive as the visual style and the fact that something like that was able to uh kind of uh grow from a, a game jam seed is just it's so cool i was actually going to ask something to that effect because i feel like i I feel the same way. I played Mini Metro. I listened to it. I got the vibe that was kind of established. And that sort of is the the Dinosaur Polo Club stamp to me. Uh, I played Mini Motorways and I went, oh, yeah, these guys. And part of it was that that vibe, that audio, uh, you know, experience that that you helped establish, Rich. So it, it's not fair to help to ask you, like, how did you do that? But how did you do that? <laughs> well, it's. It's interesting because, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to Rob and Pete because they sought me out specifically based on a really small project that I made that's that's not super well known. It's called January. Um, and it was sort of my my foray into trying to make a game of my own. Um, it's this little game where you walk around and you lick snowflakes. And basically the music is completely procedural. It's, it's uh, you know, the player can kind of like you know, kind of control the the way that the music unfolds. And they knew really early on that that's the direction that they wanted to go in. They wanted to have, they wanted to bring on somebody who could create a procedural soundscape for the game. Um, and so that's, that's what we did. And, and, you know, the, the art style, you know, the stuff that Jamie did, like all of that was a really big influence on the direction that I went in, you know, I was sort of reacting to, to what they had made, um, you know, the, the sort of minimalistic, aesthetic of, of that game really propelled me in a direction to make the music minimalistic. And the way that, you know, the way that I did that is to, to really make the relationships, the sonic relationships to the things that have are happening in the game, the mechanics, the gameplay to make them very clear, like one-to-one -one relationships where, you know, each thing has its, has a particular sound. Um, that's very, it's very tightly wound, you know, not tightly wound, but it's very like, tightly coupled to to this like sort of musical experience and most of the sounds are all made with sine waves like the <laughs> like just the most basic kind of like sound that you can have and so that sort of idea of you know the music being very tightly coupled to the gameplay um sort of blurring the lines between you know what's a sound effect and what's music and just having the whole experience be procedural i mean that kind of became like the the sonic identity of um of the of the mini games. Sponsor time support for game dev breakdown is brought to you by manscaped who offers best in class male grooming products, or as they like to say, precision engineered tools for your family jewels. 
Manscaped just launched their fourth generation grooming trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, and they sent us each their luxury grooming kit. And look, look at this bag. Look at this bag. This is such a nice bag just to hold all the cool stuff they sent us. It, uh, it includes the Performance Package 4.0 featuring the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, and more, and I am loving it. I used the uh, Weed Whacker trimmer the moment it got here. Uh, I am so paranoid about nose hair, ear hair. Like, I don't want that Dr. Robotnik nose hair situation. <laughs> like, if you saw the old school, like, it came straight <laughs> out of his nose. There was many of times in the past where I would be sitting around the house watching something with my wife, and, you know, you stroke a little here, and then you feel one <laughs> long, and then you pull it out, and she's like, stop, stop that, my wife, stop that, stop that, stop that. You like, can't ah, get caught. Leave yeah. alone. Yeah. <laughs> The grips on both the lawnmower and the weed whacker both felt so great in your hand. A nice, good weight, uh, like yeah, you said, so with the USB-C charging. That's fantastic. Yes. So great good. design, sleek, great little, just a great product overall. Bottom line is you cannot use the same trimmer on your face or your head and then your body and back and forth. You don't want to go either direction. You need separate Good products you can trust. You or someone you care about can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GAMEDEV, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use GAMEDEV at checkout. Unlock your confidence with the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. Thanks for your support. I guess for anybody who ha hasn't seen or tried the games, like we should maybe go through sort of the the elevator pitches for the games. Like, uh, how do you explain Mini Metro? Uh, well, I mean, I write the marketing copy, so it's really uh, you know I can I can just sort of recite, this, recite the Steam page. <laughs> but like, you know, uh, I'm I'm gonna go for kind of a more uh, a fun gameplay experience description rather than just saying like. Picture yourself as the dude who controls the trains, you know? You're a circle, and you're trying yeah. to get to another circle. In a world where Come there like are that. no roads. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, the thing about Mini Metro uh, is that at its, at its core, it's just a game about uh, transporting things from A to B in a fashion that can only be linear, which mm -hmm. is a really simple sounding concept but can create these layers of sort of like fiendish difficulty because uh the the way that things spawn on the map and the way that you have to route uh around them uh that that sort of like can can only move in straight lines you can control a decent amount of uh, the way your carriages behave but you will never be able to turn them into you know trams or cars uh, it, it creates it. It's it's kind of it's kind of this perfect fusion between a really simple minimalist simulation strategy and puzzle, and that's sort of what we're going for with all of our projects because um, those those three genres of game kind of all scratch different areas of the brain and they're all pleasing and exciting in different ways. But um, to to kind of to kind of walk walk a person through Mini Metro, uh, assuming they have never even like looked at it before. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, what you're doing is you are looking at a representation of a subway map. You are watching stations spawn on the map, and you just draw the lines that connect them. That's that's it. It's it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Uh, 
the the game was designed to be something that you could pick up and play around with and get an immediate sense of satisfaction from simply playing with like you're just picking it up and playing with it like it's a toy and that responsive receptive audio and the way that the game sort of uh responds to you when you like touch it and wiggle your fingers around and play with it um is designed to make it immediately appealing from kind of the, the the first time that you open it and mess around with it, even if you have no idea what you're doing, which is uh, cool. Honestly, it's 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 very uh, it's it's one of the one of the joys of working on these games has been seeing the way that they are able to connect with people who aren't the traditional kind of core gamer demographic because they're able to just uh, pick it up and play with it and listen to it sing and, you know, like watch the, watch things grow and watch the colors and watch things move. And it's just, um, yeah, I, I liken it almost to like picking it up, but picking up and playing with a toy rather than playing a game, which is uh, very cool to me. Does everyone love this as much as I do? Am I crazy here? Right. It feels like you guys have had a really good response from like everyone I've talked to who knows about these games. That's a very lovely thing for you to say, first and foremost. Um, thank you. Uh, we we have been absolutely blown away by the response uh, to the, the Mini Motorways launch uh, on Arcade and then also on Steam because like it's it's been kind of a, a solid uh a solid two years actually of uh, of people being very appreciative and uh the the community has just responded in a way that's been very very flattering <laughs> and um yeah i i i'm very I'm, I'm just staggered by the amount of people and the depth of the connections that have uh the people are making with the game it's it's absolutely lovely to see and uh yeah i mean i would i i I, I feel kind of put on the spot here because you're like, so Casey, tell me, does everyone on planet earth love your game? And like, <laughs> that's what, true. What, am I, what am I supposed to say to that? that, dude? that was, <laughs> I mean, it is interesting. Like the, the sort of the, the, the things that people have sort of uh, noticed about motorways that are different than Metro. Like there's this sort of um, you sort of get the, like a lot of people have sort of got this like uh, almost like subversive sense that, Mini motorways is like a critique of like cars because of just the experience of trying to build um, like a road system. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a certain, there's a certain, even though mini Metro is challenging in its own way, there's a certain like simplicity to that game mm-hmm. um, that mini motorways gets chaotic in a very different way. Like it gets very like um, in my, like, at least for me, it gets very, um, it just gets very messy and very chaotic in a totally different way than Mini Metro does. But I think is really cool is that you have, you know, that we're able to make these two games that have this sort of thematic through line and they have a similar, they have a similar progression of difficulty and everything, but um, they feel, they feel very different to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's inviting in the beginning and it's kind of meditative. Then it gets kind of like crazy. Um and that was always one of the directions that I, that I got and, and that we talked about is like, we have to do whatever we can to kind of tamp down the, the, uh, the stress factor, <laughs> because even though the game is inviting in the beginning and kind of like brings you in nicely, um, you know, it starts to get pretty, pretty hairy. And so um, definitely try to do that with the audio. It's a good point. Yeah. There is a certain element of like uh, the way that evolves is a little more like high pressure uh, and for, for being what it is and you sort of start to realize you're zooming out and your city yeah. is starting it just feels to get more doomed intense to me. Yeah. yeah. It feels doomed. Like when you're playing many motorways, it's like, I can't, this is just going to end badly. I know it. <laughs> I'm just going to do the best <laughs> I can. The, the, the game overstate for the two games, when you think about it is technically the same, 
you know, mm-hmm. like you weren't able to continue conveying the thing in the way that the thing wishes to be conveyed. Um, but like when you think about it from a, a sort of like a emergent narrative perspective, it's actually quite different because in Mini Metro, the the failure state is, oh no, your subway system was so successful that too many people wanted to ride it. And <laughs> um they got they got upset with how long they had to wait for you and threw a fit, game over. And then like the the mini motorways game over is it's literally the, the same type of game over, but it comes at you from this position of like, oh baby made a gridlock what have you done <laughs> your your people can't get anywhere your city is dying <laughs> like it's, it's, it's sort of like it, it sort of leads you in gently like it takes you by the hand and you know like leads you leads you down the road and it's like oh look at your beautiful little city and then uh it just sort of shoves you off the cliff it does. It has a, it, and there's no good reason for this, but it's a distinctly different feeling. It's like the the unspoken implication is like uh, the supply chain is broken down. Your people are starving. No one's getting to work. No one can escape it's the interstate. <laughs> and and you've yeah. done this, so I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. There's way more connections to make in many motorways, I suppose, because there's so many houses. You know, there's so many individual houses and stuff versus like stations. So mm-hmm. there's like there's just naturally like a more manic kind of quality to the 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 sort of like tapestry that you create. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just, it looks more manic too, because there's so many little cars moving around on the screen. And yeah. um, I, I personally am not a particularly anxious person when I game. So it doesn't like, I can look at it and just be like, Oh, sick. This looks great. You know, <laughs> like, it doesn't bother me that much, but I know certain people, um, certain people in the studio, like when we're all play testing together, you know, we'll all be huddled around the table and, um, we'll all be at kind of the same point in our game. And I'll just be like, Oh yeah, this looks really good. Like the colors on this are fantastic. This is great. And then like the person sitting next to me will be like, right. <laughs> it's just very <laughs> You know, it just sort of inspires different emotions in different people, I guess, which is um, cool, honestly, because uh, art would be very boring if it evoked the same emotions in every single person who looked at it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And still, at the end of a good round, I almost always grab the screenshot because I'm super impressed by the the just the giant, super crowded thing I created. And I almost always <laughs> put it on Twitter like, I wish yeah. this was an eSport because I would be the best, it's which like, is silly. Like the course. Jackson Pollock. A generator like <laughs> urban planning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh speaking of chaos uh here here is a hard question for you uh which you may not be as excited about some of these later board scores are bullshit right i mean come on oh, <laughs> oh yeah the, the, yeah so basically the the leaderboard situation is one that we are actively addressing for a number of reasons uh first and foremost uh unfortunately the way that scores are submitted to steam uh on almost every game that uses leaderboards it's pretty easy to just edit the registry values and Mm -hmm. yeet off something that has no correlation to reality which is uh disappointing and um one of the one of the other things is that we had a, a really uh fun uh scenario where there were a couple of uh one one was a bug and one was a sort of late game uh design and balance scenario on a couple of maps where uh provided you built your roads in a very specific way chose certain upgrades judiciously and kept a really close eye on your city as it was growing um you could kind of achieve a uh, a state of stasis where the game would um <clears throat> pardon me uh would just sort of start playing itself 
And as long as you managed emergencies uh, when they came up, uh, it would it would just sort of keep chugging along uh, as uh, until you got bored with it, basically. <laughs> and so we started getting emails from players who were uh, re- reporting this um, because, you know, it is it is technically not intended behavior. So it's, it's good that they pointed it out. But people were pointing it out by saying things like, oh, yeah. So I was like able to tape a stylus to my screen and keep the game going for four and a half days. And I was just like, oh, no. What? <laughs> that's, <laughs> like what it's, it's a, that's what yeah. we planned. That's what we designed for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so that's that's definitely something that we have had to change and adapt to. And the team has done an amazing job uh, responding to that uh, in the the live ops phase after the Steam launch, and uh, with the couple of updates that we are working on uh, that'll be coming out later this year, we do have some. Uh, not only bug fixes to how scores are stored and submitted that will just sort of make that whole process a, a much smoother uh, a, a to B experience, but uh, we're also going to be changing up uh, a couple of aspects of the leaderboards themselves to make them a little bit more friendly and a little bit uh, just just kind of trying to uh, re- remove the incentive to people for people to want to do that because uh, <laughs> I realize it is very discouraging to players to uh, look up and you know like they're like oh sick I just got like you know thirty five hundred that's a score that I worked really hard for several weeks to gain the skill level to achieve and then you open up the global top ten leaderboard and some dude has like hacked in like nine hundred and ninety nine million sixty nine four twenty and it's just like okay okay like you've 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 had your fun and honestly like. I would have done that myself back in the day. Like I'm not pretending to be like God's perfect gamer child, you know, but um, yeah, we're, we're just trying, trying, trying to make it an experience that doesn't reward people wanting to hack the game, which sounds so dumb, but like, you know, it it still speaks to, you know, how much people are enjoying it. If they want to bother to do that. I mean, not every game is going through this, you know? No. And like, when's, when's the last time that like, uh, you played a game that had a high score and you like obsessively refreshed the leaderboard like over and over again, you have to really care about something uh, to do that. And so um, even though I joke about it and even though um, some of it is definitely behavior that uh, we we wish wasn't as prevalent as it is, um, it all comes from a place of people really responding to the game and thinking it's cool and thinking it's worth engaging with. And that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the studio doing at uh, Gamescom? Because that's kind of how we connected in the first place. Uh, the studio had sort of invited me to talk at Gamescom and I didn't end up participating in Gamescom, but I was glad that <laughs> you were all able to uh, sort of join me offline for the podcast. So uh, what was going on? Uh, so we were just exhibiting at the Indie Arena booth that they have uh, every year, which is sort of a... Um, it's for, for for those who aren't aware, just depending on where you might be based, uh, Gamescom is uh, a big event uh, held over in Europe uh, alongside DevCom every year. And the Gamescom Indie Arena booth is sort of similar to like the North American equivalent of like, uh, I don't know, like the PAX 20 or the, um, the Indie Mega booth that used to display at PAX uh, back in the day, which I think, Rich, you might be familiar with uh, some, of, some of their projects. Uh, what was that? Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was just saying uh it's sort of we were, we were we were doing this thing that was sort of like indie mega booth which i think you've oh been, yeah mm-hmm. uh involved with uh some some yeah. of their projects they've, they've had some really good stuff over the years and yeah, um definitely. yeah so we we like being being a part of the kind of like uh indie indie landscape and just seeing what uh what people are putting together and uh it's it's, it's a cool opportunity to meet 
press outlets that we wouldn't normally get to talk to because being in New Zealand, uh, being a- awake at the same time as people <laughs> in Europe is murder on our circadian rhythms. Yeah. So it was just sort of like, we will, we will do one European event and I will force myself to wake up during times that are not particularly sensible. So we can you know, just sort of like expose the game to a corner of the world on, on a live stage that we might not normally get to do, which is cool. And um, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. Uh, it was it was a pretty a pretty hectic time because to, just like with everything else related to the launch and the post launch period, there was just um, way way more interest than we thought there would be. Yeah. <laughs> it's constantly surprising, right? <laughs> it feels like the weirdest kind of humble bragging to be like, "Well, no, I didn't expect the I, game." I, to go, I feel like you know? I feel like the the reception of it has been outsized for the kind of games that they are because they're so it's such a niche type game but but it seems to really attract a lot of different kinds of people once they get into it which is really like a yeah. testament to the design of the games i know it's still not a very big studio right it's still a pretty small team smallish i mean that's that's one of those things like define indie like define small well like, yeah we could, true. we could go around in circles with that all night um so at the moment, uh, we are at, uh, I believe, 18 uh, on-site, uh, on-site team members and then a, a handful of contractors kind of in, in New Zealand and then uh, a handful of people uh, out, outside of the Wellington area like Rich. And then we're still working with Jamie on Mini Metro as well. So um, yeah, like 20, 22, 23 people spread across um, three projects at the moment. So yeah. Sort of let me know what y'all are are thinking about for the future. Do you know? Is there discussion about that? Or are you still in sort of uh, support mode for uh, motorways? Um, well, the, the cool thing about the the mini games is that we just we support them for a very long time. Like, uh, Rich, how how often do we ask you to do new stuff on Mini Metro for a game that's like however many years old at this point, you know? Yeah, a few times a year. And, you know, uh, pop in from time to time and just make sure everything's running smoothly and, and keep things up to date. And it's really nice that, you know, the studio has kind of, you know, continued to to, to work on those games and, and make them, um, you know, just keep them relevant and, and keep the keep the players happy and, and all that kind of stuff. It's been, it's been great. Yeah, and it's cool because uh, I, I like the fact that... Uh once once you kind of develop the, the the framework for the updates um i don't want to say they become easy because nothing is ever easy you know hmm. but um it's it's a there there is a much more streamlined process once the game is out and once it's out on the platforms that we intend it to be out on and um building and expanding on it with uh, new maps new game modes that sort of thing um becomes something that we can focus on just like hey so what would be a cool thing that people can enjoy playing with mm-hmm. um which is sort of the the core of these games i think is really just like what's a cool experience that people can play with mm-hmm. and um I, I think we're very fortunate to be in a position where we can focus on that rather than having to um uh, I just I just know from other projects that I have work on that uh, there there's a lot more like okay but will people buy this involved yeah. <laughs> and yeah and I mean I'm sure I'm sure you've been on projects like that as well Rich there's just always this uh, this kind of like the the money specter specter lurking in the background like uh, <laughs> well it's not always common that a studio will release a game and then support it so closely for for so many years after you know a lot of times you see games come out and then the studio moves on to something else. And, you know, maybe, maybe 
prior projects get a little bit neglected. Um, and that's at, you know, that's at the expense of maybe some of the more enthusiastic players who really like those games. So um, it's really cool that we get to, you know, we get to keep those people happy. Yeah. And it's a, it's also just an, a neat creative experience because it's, um, I think there's just a, there's just a, in, in the studio, there is just so much like depth and understanding of how these games work when you've been working on them together as a, as a team for such a long time. And you can just sort of dig around in their guts and try out new stuff uh, all, all the time, which I just love. And um, that once you get that level of familiarity, there's just, uh, it, it, it almost kind of opens, opens, opens the door for creative stuff that yeah. you might not get a chance to to go for if you were kind of only skimming along the surface of supporting mm -hmm. a game. So, yeah. Yeah, many motorways, like we even went so far as to, on the audio side, um, every city has its own logic, basically, for audio. So every time there's an update, it's it's an opportunity for me to basically go in there and have a little bit of fun and basically, you know, create like a new a new feature set. Um, it's It's not just like, you know, oh, plug in you know, plug in the same sounds and, and, you know, call it a day or whatever. There's actually like, it's like, it's like a playground. Um, and that part is really, is really fun. It's really satisfying. What I'm getting on this end is that the indie spirit is largely still alive here. And I think that's maybe an important uh, factor when you're trying to answer the question, like, is this studio still, uh, could you look at them as indie? Could you look at them as small? And it feels to me like, okay, you've had to go through some growing pains, of course, because it's successful and it's multi-platform and, uh, you know, you're working with Apple, which is cool, but it also does seem like you get to sort of still do the things you want to do. And that's maybe the most important factor for me when I look at a studio and go, is this indie or have they sort of moved on? Not that there's anything wrong with moving on, but it does seem like... Uh, there could have been a more disappointing version of this where I went like, how's it going? And you went, however, Apple tells us it's going, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it was going like that, I don't think I'd be allowed to say that on an interview though. So like, <laughs> that's true. You, know, you, you never know. Like maybe you need to decipher the Morse code in my blinks. Um, <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're actually in a, in a really good I'm place here. with that. Yeah. 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 Rich is, Rich is like secretly my handler, you know, like uh, we're, we're, we have this, like, uh, you know, the, the hostage vibe going on, you know, I just meant that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of an outsider, but that works too. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I took that to a really dark place. <laughs> <laughs> Help scribbled on the notebook. That's understood. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. And uh, I think part of that is that we've just had such amazing studio direction from Rob and Pete. Like we, we are, we are so lucky that they were the people who founded this studio. And we're so lucky that they have recruited the specific team of people that they have to kind of carry on mini Metro and develop the second game and develop future prototypes and future projects. Because, um, what, what they have done is they have built the studio around, um, a, a goal of long-term sustainability, uh, that is not focused on short-term growth or trying to scrabble for every bit of recognition or profit or, uh, every market handhold that it can get. And I think that that is reflected in uh, our, our studio's attitudes, but also in the, the games themselves, because like we, we can let them be a little funky. They can be a little weird. Um, they can, uh, they can get a little like discordant in ways that I just find absolutely uh, joyful, you know? 
Um, there's like some great examples of that in the game. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking specifically of a, a few very specific uh, <laughs> instances, which you actually go for it, go for well, it. Well, I'll share some on my side. So um, the the audio system and many motorways basically has a giant database of chords, like you know, like like harmony for the game, and and uh, the Moscow level. I think the harmony for that level is literally it can play any chord at any time. Um, so it can get into some pretty weird states. Um, and for the most part, like a lot of the design has been to try to reel, reel those things in. And there have been times when certain levels, like I get like QA feedback that like, oh yeah, this level sounds like really evil. <laughs> it's like, oh no, that's definitely not the intention. <laughs> because it was just sort of an experimental spirit with like a lot of the work that we've done. Um, and so it, you know, occasionally things can get a little funky, but, um, it, the, by, by and large, like the, it's, it's a net, like a net positive, the sort of stuff that's, I think has come out of it. And it kind of has a yeah, mind of definitely. its own now. So understood. Very good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I remember seeing that the early notes on like the Tokyo map in night mode, someone was like, this sounds haunted. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo is scary. Uh, I don't know if that helps. I went a little <laughs> too far with the, with, with using the Japanese scales and stuff. So I had to like, I had to like dial it back a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. It's, and it's cool. It's more of the kind of cool game jammy style, uh, try anything and see what goes well, uh, which yeah. is, is neat to see in games that are, you know, this mature, which is kind of nice. Um, I mean, that was my design, like philosophy for many motorways was feature creep, uh, on purpose. Like that was how, <laughs> that was basically how I like navigated like the work that I was doing. <laughs> nice. And if you have enough space and time and, you know, um, support, you can, you can do that sometimes. Um, but uh, you mentioned Steam Workshop, and I don't know what you're able to do with with uh, the games in Steam Workshop. But I mean, how does that work for you, and how's it going? If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, one of the first and extremely cool projects that I got to work on uh, when I first started at Dinosaur Polo Club was uh, working on the Mini Metro Steam Workshop uh, integration which basically there is an amazing player mod um, that a player made a few years ago called Mini Metro More that um, it's, I, I, I just, I, I will disclaim it uh, for, for those who aren't familiar with the project and say it is not like a full suite map builder with like mm. a glorious, you know, like map design uh, <laughs> UI and stuff like that. It's, it's very like um, I'm modding Morrowind sort of experience, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, she she made this amazing framework called Mini Metro More, and um, Robin Pete actually worked with her to integrate it properly into the game, so that players who made maps on Mini Metro More can now uh, host them on Steam Workshop. And also, they uh, added some additional uh, interface stuff, some additional uh, options, and uh, the player who did it, Cassia, wrote up this amazing tutorial, um, so that players can actually make their own maps pretty much the same way me we make them. And uh, Rich has done up uh, an incredible tutorial for doing some uh, homebrew audio for your homebrew maps uh, as well. And uh, there's there's a really entertaining video out there as, 
as uh, as well that I've uh, uh, a lot of a lot of players have uh, have said is a is a big help for that. And um, yeah, we've we've had some really interesting stuff come up. Like there's the sort of to be expected. You know, there's oh, I've always wanted to have like my home city of blank. You know, in the mm-hmm. game, but it's something that we have either not gotten around to adding, or it's something that we wouldn't work on for whatever reason. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, but then people have done some like really funky experimental stuff as well, like uh, weird sci-fi mega cities based <laughs> on uh, like stuff that they have created in other games. Uh, people have uh, done like cities and then written up like lore documents for them and posted <laughs> them on the like Steam forums and stuff. Um, it's it's so kick-ass. Like it's it's just it's so cool to see a game still inspire that much creativity from people uh this many years after it's come out and um yeah i i absolutely love it and uh yeah the the steam workshop section of mini metro is just it's this really joyful little place where people just build cool stuff and show it off and um yeah i I love it i was wondering if it was going to be more in the sort of map creation department or more like every train car is Tony Danza's face now or you know that, <laughs> that uh, you can you can you can mess around with that stuff to an extent <laughs> but it will often break in really interesting ways if you try um like I know the first the first time I ended up uh attempting to make a metromore map uh, on my own um I, I couldn't figure out how to get the bridges to stop being upside down and I was just <laughs> like cool <laughs> it's just where i'm at now <laughs> this is fine yeah or pardon me the tunnels were upside down and then looked like bridges is what i meant to say so yeah good nice. good stuff the other big part of how i know a studio is still uh pretty indie ish is you sound like you're doing almost every role there now right <laughs> <laughs> that's how i know this is still a small studio right i always feel oh, that way when when casey talks yeah. i'm like it sounds like she does a lot of things I mean, I just feel like that's part of being a good community manager is that uh, truly from the bottom of my heart, I feel like there is no department in a studio that should be working more closely with every other department than community. Because when you think about it, what you're doing is uh, you are working uh, first and foremost with the team to ensure that their decisions are going to be decisions that will make the game fun for players. Uh, in my case, uh, I also, um, way, way back when I started the uh, beta testing program and uh, ran that uh, for, for a while for the first few rounds until we got uh, other folks on the team involved. And it's a, it's a much more collaborative thing. But for a while, it was just sort of like my conduit to the player base, uh, collecting feedback, uh, making sure that people were interested in the changes we were making to the game, making sure that they were beneficial, making sure they didn't target or... Uh, affect one type of player over other types of players uh, at the expense of other types of players enjoyment and so as as a community manager what you should be doing is sharing all of that throughout the entire team you should be talking to everyone you should be sitting in on a bunch of meetings because like otherwise none of that information is going to get to the people it can help so yeah that's that's sort of my my philosophy on working in a games community is that uh, it's just as much about being able to uh, help help that sort of cross-department collaboration as it is like talking to the players and I don't know, t- tweeting and moderating the forums and all, all that sort of more, more traditional stuff that I guess is what people think of when they think of the role. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like I work any harder than anyone else on the team We're we're, we're very lucky to be in a position where, uh, we all work together and collaborate, uh, all the time in a way that's just been so beautiful and so cohesive lately. And, um, I love being able to help out with as much stuff as I get to, because, um, pretty much every aspect of these games is fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Community is a a role that I mean, it's been around a while, but it's changed a lot and it hasn't been around forever. So you clearly have a sense of like what you feel good community management entails. And uh, as one of the first like official community managers to appear on the show, I think the podcast has been around a while, too. But I can't remember many dedicated uh, community folks I've had on. Uh, I, I would not be so unfair as to ask you, like, what? what can you like how can you teach everyone to do community management but like where are some of the places you learned uh, and and developed that sense of like what good community management would involve i was a 911 dispatcher when i was a teenager that was probably huh. my tri- my trial by fire was <laughs> would not have guessed <laughs> yeah manning the phones during hurricane season when i was like 18 years old uh in in texas that was honestly like the best thing to ever prep me for gamers like just you know just a very constant high stress environment to be working in um but like on on a less glib note uh i came up through the games industry by working uh in a position that was kind of hybrid community slash player support slash narrative uh on telnet muds for years and years and years (laughs) and that's a really unique uh ecosystem to play with because People play MUDs for all kinds of different reasons, especially ones that have like PvP and permadeath and stuff like that. And it's a, about as different an experience to Mini Metro as you can possibly like have, uh, but not, not in a bad way. But um, it just it just means that you are exposed to a huge, diverse audience of opinions, and you need to figure out why people play games, why they like games, why they get things out of your game that other people don't care about, uh, why they prioritize certain features. And it's all just sort of, it all, it all, it all just sort of comes down to being good at uh, listening to people and figuring out what makes them happy and whether or not it's within your team's capabilities to deliver that. And if not, uh, knowing, knowing how to nicely but firmly say, sorry, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, the community is a field that's evolving a lot, I think, and it's also like indie and you know other other terms like that. I think every studio does it a little bit differently, and um, every studio kind of has their own priorities for what their community department should be doing or how it should you know be benefiting the rest of the team. But I think when you're working on sim games and strategy games and any sort of systems-based game where small changes in design will have a, a domino effect on the rest of the game, uh, it's, just, it's just really important to have a community department that is talking to everyone all of the time. Mm-hmm. You are the third emergency dispatcher I've known in uh, recent. I know, too, uh, my brother-in-law used to be one, and I've got a close friend who is one also. And so it's funny to hear that transition. Of course, uh, you're probably a very chill community manager because no one's bleeding, so everyone's fine, right? I like to think I'm chill, but like that's <laughs> one of those things that's like you know, can, can you look in the mirror and say that you're looking inside your own eyeball? Like, I don't know, you know, like the, can, can, can a person objectively say whether they're chill or not? 
it's that's true. Uh, but it, it definitely seems like that would help in a position like that, having come through uh, real emergencies and understanding the difference between uh, someone upset for a reason that is not life or death and someone who uh, is really, really dealing with something right this moment. So that's that's funny. That kind of trial by fire, uh, probably literally too often, is, uh, wow, you must be kind of ready for anything. That's that's pretty cool, actually. It's an evolving discipline, and uh, I am not perfect by any means, and uh, I'm still learning things all the time. Like, these, these games have taught me so much. Uh, and working with people who have such a such a diverse background as our team members has taught me a lot as well. Um, it's 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 really cool getting getting to work on projects like these because um, I I think that our team has attracted a group of people who are just sort of they're from all over the place and they've done all sorts of stuff and mm-hmm. it's it's definitely not like when you go to work on a new project and they're all people who are just like, Oh yeah, I came here cause I went to the university in town that everyone goes to. And then I worked at the place where everyone works as a junior. And then like, I got promoted enough times that I went and now I work here and it's just, yeah, no, we've, we've got a lot of, a lot of people from kind of non-traditional uh, gamer job backgrounds. And, um, and then we, you know, we've, we've got people uh, like uh, our, Old, our old producer Jer or people like Rich who have shipped um, a bunch of titles and they're all very different, uh, which is cool as well. It, it all adds up. The games are great and uh, I hope to see more very cool projects in the future from uh, Dinosaur Polo Club. As we sort of bring things home, uh, Casey, maybe you can let people know where they can check stuff out, what they should look for online to sort of get familiar with the games. And then please, both of you, uh, give some personal plugs also. Yeah, uh, so we we are very fortunate in that our studio name uh, is distinctive enough that it was not taken as a username on a lot of places. <laughs> so you can just find us at like at Dino Polo Club on any place that you can expect to find a game studio, uh, really. We are pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you only want updates about the games and what new features are coming and when stuff is being announced, uh, we have a newsletter you can subscribe to that is like the least invasive newsletter on the planet. I'll send you like maybe three gentle emails a year and they're just like, hey, buddy, the thing's out. And there's no like, you know, extra like we won't bother you sort of sort of thing. Um, you can keep up to date on the stuff that's happening, uh, like changes, changes wise on our various product pages on the Apple Arcade site and on Steam. And, um, yeah, we're, we're doing a lot at the moment. We've got some updates planned for later on in the year and, uh, I'm, I'm very excited about it all. So Rich, where can we look for you online? Yeah. Um, my website is disasterpiece.com and, uh, I have a mailing list that you could sign uh, sign up for there. So if you want to uh, uh, follow me and my work, uh, that's that's how you do it. Cool. And uh, Casey, I know you do some personal stuff online. If you want to throw anything out there, don't have to. It's 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 interesting, actually. I when people are like, so what's like a personal project? It's like I don't know. I I write. I have some like short stories and essays and stuff that people can read online. But uh, I guess one one cool thing that I can plug now that it's been revealed is uh, I did flavor text on the upcoming uh, gangster themed Streets of New Capenna set for Magic the Gathering that's launching uh, like I think early early mid next year. So um, nice. if uh, <laughs> if you happen to play Magic and Mini Metro for some <laughs> reason both at the same time, you know, like I, I got gotcha, you. Uh, 
yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a cool project, a fun, fun thing to, to dip my toes into. And I'm excited to see uh, how, how folks like it, you know? Well, very cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you both for coming on and uh, we'll look forward to more cool stuff from the studio. Yeah. yeah thank you so much for having, for having us. us. Okay, big thanks to Casey Lucas Quaid and Rich Vreeland of Dinosaur Polo Club. Check out Mini Metro and Mini Motorways. Those are such good games. You'll be as hooked as I am. I just, I love that stuff. Uh, as for me, you can check out show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. Subscribe to Game Dev Breakdown anywhere. Hit subscribe. Hit that follow button on Spotify. Consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple because that really helps us get out there fast. Uh, you can check out my book, Inside Video Game Creation, on Amazon. And uh, Matt, tell us about your streams. Uh, you can find me at all the socials and streams at twitch.tv forward slash OHC. Mr. Day. Very you nice. Tune in for a wide variety of things. You'll see me, Mechatodzilla, up there playing some Call of Duty, usually with the wife or the brother or somebody else out there. Or just anything we feel like playing at the time, I'll throw up and... Just come join us, give us a follow, hang out, lurk in the chat, talk in the chat, whatever you feel. It's appreciated. Better than average chance you'll catch me on the streams also, or, uh, you know, our our circle of friends. It's a good group, and uh, you could do a lot worse with your time. So, Matt, thank (laughs) you again. No problem. I appreciate being here. And uh, catch all you guys next week.